Uh, this is part two of uh, what I am referring to as a discipleship series, and we'll get digger into the discipleship stuff down the road, but I think the foundation is really critical, and the foundation has to be Jesus. And so last week I did part one, Jesus is Lord, and today I'm going to continue with that part two, that Jesus still being Lord, and just from a very different approach that I think is very helpful to us as a church, as a church family. And so 1 Corinthians 1, beginning first of all, um, I want to, I guess, start in verse 10, and then we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 3 and read a little bit more there. Same topic, same theme, it just occurs in 1 Corinthians 1, and then Paul jumps back to it in 1 Corinthians 3, because Paul's the, uh, the writer to this, the Apostle Paul. So Paul says this to the Corinthian church, he says, I appeal to you. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Can you imagine a church with quarrels? Like, just take a minute to soak that in, right? How can that happen? What I mean is this, and here's the gist. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos is a pastor that uh, ministered in Corinth, at least for some time. Another, I follow Cephas. Cephas is the Jewish derivative of Peter. So one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, and this is the one I love, because this would be me, because I'm so spiritual, and some follow Christ. I'm sure you're identifying with that right now. Let's continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, old uh, New International Version says as spiritual. But as people, you are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Hmm, why does he say that? I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Okay, why is Paul calling these guys worldly? For since there is jealousy and quarrelings among you, remember the quarrels back in chapter 1? For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So he's dealing again with this following certain personalities and figures in the church. What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. I don't want you to shout out the answer. But it's not rhetorical either. 
But I want you to just think in your head, ponder it, maybe ask yourself why you feel that way. So the question is this. I think it's going to pop up behind me. It's Karen Hamilton would say it's the question of the day. To whom do you feel most connected at church? So just muse on that for a minute, okay? To whom do you feel most connected at church? Might be somebody sitting near you right now. Might be somebody in leadership. Might be somebody you work with on a ministry team. Might be a longtime friend. To whom do you feel most connected at church? You'll have reasons. For some of you, it's a person that you've made a friendship with and you've been longtime friends and you love coming to church and you may sit with them or not sit with them, but you just like to know that they're there. They're a prayer buddy. They're a Bible study buddy. They're, they're just a good friend. Maybe it's somebody in the church that you don't know that well, but they've helped you out in some way, monetarily or physically or, or spiritually. It might be just somebody in the church that just seems to have time for you. It's every time you walk through the doors that they just take time for you. They notice you. They've remembered your name. They've, they've got a friendly smile. They, they chatted up with you at least a little bit. It could be somebody that you've been partnering with in ministry over a period of time and, and you like them and you like their giftings and you like their leadership and the contributions to the church. Some wise, loving, kind saint who just reminds you that they pray for you. And again, when you come through the doors on Sunday or a family night or a small group, you just know that they love you and care for you. And because of some of these reasons and others I'm sure that I haven't mentioned, we build some kind of emotional attachment to in our churches. The Corinthian church had some emotional attachments as well to three different leaders, heavyweights, if I might say. The Apostle Paul, Pastor Apollos, and Cephas, or we know him better as Peter. Can you imagine, now pardon me for just being a little vain for a minute, but can you imagine having these three guys in your church uh, Nick, can you throw that slide up for me with the three figures? There they are. They're all short. Can you imagine having these three guys in your church? Now, we know, we know that Paul was instrumental, obviously, in establishing the church at Corinth. If you go back to the book of Acts and you begin reading in Acts, you get in and around Acts, I don't know, 17, 18, and there's Paul. Paul labors hard to get this church up and running. But, but Paul's not really a pastor. Paul's a church planner. He's an apostle. So he moves around quite a bit. And eventually, Apollos comes in. But we also know that there's, a, there's somewhat of a Jewish element connected with this Corinthian church because they don't refer to Peter by his you know, Greek-English name. Uh, they refer to him by Cephas, you know, Hebraic, remembering his, his Jewish stock. 
And so in the church, there seems to be three clubs. One meets on Wednesday, one meets on Thursday, one meets on Friday. Peter's Wednesday, Apollos is Thursday, and the Paul club is on Friday. And they meet and they talk about their boy. They love their boy. Well, what's not to like about these guys, right? Just think of the Apostle Paul, a, a former Pharisee. Obviously an intellectual heavyweight and a guy whom God had done amazing signs and wonders through. And the Corinthian church loved the signs and wonders. The Corinthian church was a very spiritual church, and it loved the supernatural stuff. And there was lots of supernatural stuff going on at Corinth, and Paul was a supernatural guy. But then there's Apollos. Apollos came from Alexandria. He came from northern Africa. And back in the good old days, and this is historically uh, on record, Alexandria was a learning center. The smart people went to Alexandria and were taught and learned there. Now, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, raise one university over another, and I realize these days probably most university thinking is too left for us or too liberal for us as Christians. But, like, Alexandria would have been like the Harvard or the Yale or the Princeton back in the good old days, but, but maybe even better than that when it came to intellectual thought and, and religious thought. And Apollos came from that learning center. So my guess is this guy was one sharp cookie. In fact, we're told that Barnabas, uh, not Barnabas, but Priscilla and Aquila kind of took him aside and, and sharpened up his theology because he wasn't bang right on about who Jesus was at first. But, but they got him all straightened around. But this guy was a great apologist for the faith. This guy could get into debate with anybody back in those days, whether Roman or Greek, and talk about Jesus Christ. And this guy would come out the winner. This guy was sharp. And so they had him there pastoring. And then there was Peter. Now, I don't know what you think about Peter, but I mean, one of the things I liked about Peter was the fact that Peter was a guy that wasn't afraid to jump in, wasn't afraid to speak his mind. Sometimes his mind was lost, but he wasn't afraid to speak it occasionally. He was a man of faith. You know, he was the guy chopping off the ear of the servant. He was the guy ready to die for Jesus. He was the guy up on the mountain saying, hey, you know what, maybe we should build some housing up here and just stay up here because this is really good being in the presence of God. It was that Peter. He's also the Peter that was willing to take a risk and go to the house of Simon the Tanner, and he had the vision where he understood that, you know what, that it was okay to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He was a bit of an innovator in his own way as well. Lots of good qualities, excellent qualities about all of these guys. You would think the church as a whole would just say, isn't it great that all three of these men have had some kind of spiritual influence on our church? But we don't need a Peter fan club on Wednesday, and we don't need an Apollos fan club on Thursday, and we don't need an Apostle Paul fan club on Friday. But it seems that somewhere through the church life, people were picking their guy that they liked one personality or one set of giftings or there was something about each of these men that they liked more than the others to the point that the Apostle Paul talks to them about the divisions that they have, that the quarreling that they have, and that the fact that they're choosing one over the other indicates that they are being quite worldly. It could not have been easy for Paul to address this because Paul was one of the guys that some of them at least liked. And so in a sense, he didn't have a dog in this fight because he didn't really care. But at the same time, his name was being bantered about by some as being better or more superior to others. 
And so Paul addresses this in the very first few lines of 1 Corinthians. And he says, what I mean is this about their worldliness and their quarreling is. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another says that I follow Cephas. Then, of course, there are the spiritual ones that say, well, of course, I wouldn't follow a man. I would only follow Jesus. I don't know if that was a heartfelt answer back in those days, but it was at least the correct answer. But the Apostle Paul has problems with the fan club, with the emotional attachments to some of these guys. Because it's, it's manifesting itself in something really unhealthy in the church, and it's creating divisions. So Paul says a few things. What's the problems with the fan club? Well, the first thing that Paul says is it depicts worldliness. Now, I think that's just the introductory statement there that he begins in, in chapter 3. The worldliness is this, that they're picking one over the other or preferring one over the other leads to quarreling and jealousy. Can you imagine sitting around your small group or just sitting around the table at Tim Hortons or lounging in a chair at Starbucks as, and having this conversation with your Christian friends? Well, this is why I like Paul. Well, this is why I like Apollos. Well, this is why I like Cephas. And then you have a friend that's just sitting a little bit back from you three carnal people saying, well, I'm not into any of them. I'm just into Jesus. But then they start listing the pros and cons of why they like one over the other to the point where they start quarreling about their spiritual leaders and which one's better. Now, here's the thing. I don't mind talking to you about, you know, which hockey team's better, which football team's better. And going back and forth on that. But if we as Christians are having active conversations and quarreling with our brothers and sisters on which apostle or which pastor, or even in our time and day, you know, which spiritual leader we like the most to the point where it's causing quarreling and jealousy, then I have to agree with the apostle Paul when he says there that we're not being spiritual, but we're being, now again, I'm reading from the, the brand new New International Version, it says worldly, but there's an older version of the New International Version that says the word I like the best, carnal. Carnal. Again, eh? just sometimes those older words just, bing, gotcha. Right? He says, you know, you're talking about how spiritual your leaders are. What you miss is the fact that in your conversation about which one's better than the other, you're indicating how unspiritual you are. Because Christ followers wouldn't do that. That's, that's insane. So he says, that kind of conversation indicates that you are carnal and not spiritual. He says, your inspirations, meaning them, your inspirations, that 
whether you like them because they preach well or they teach well or they have a charismatic personality or a smile on their face or that they seem smarter than the next guy. He says, look, all of those things are good. It's great that our leaders are spiritually gifted. That's wonderful. It's great that God is using them in wonderful ways. Oh, that's great. I mean, God's grace is, is wonderful. He says, look, all that's significant. I understand that. But he says this, but it's not idol-worthy. And that's what's going on here. They're creating idols out of their spiritual leaders. And then he corrects that teaching by moving on in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says, look, let's, let's be honest. It's God that gives the increase here. God can use pretty much anybody to do anything that he wants, but it's God that gives the increase. Hey, it's great that Apollos, uh, you know, pardon me, that Paul, you know, planted the seed at Corinth. It's great that Apollos is coming along later as a pastor and is watering the seed that Paul planted. That, that's all great. But he says at the end of the day, it's God that gives the increase. God is the only one that matters. Thus, this takes me to part two of Jesus is Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes this, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God. God is the one who makes things grow. God is the one who gives the increase. Paul has his gifts. Apollos has his gifts. A Cephas or Peter has his gifts. They all have their gifts. And God has gifted them as he has seen, seen fit. And, and we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God determines who gets what gifts and for whatever reason that God decides to do that. But at the end of the day, regardless of how gifted we are or how much God uses us, at the end of the day, if I can say it again, the only one who matters is, is God. Jesus is Lord. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas. Jesus is Lord. It's great that Paul planted. It's great that Apollos is watering. In our own local churches in the 21st century, of course, we appreciate the work that everybody does. But at the end of the day, who gets the credit? It's Jesus. Paul goes on to say that workers will be rewarded for their labor. The worker will get their labor. But God gets all the glory. This is not to say that the people that whom God uses are, are, are not important. But let's remember it's because the grace flows that we are gifted and able to do what we do in the first place. And the grace flows from him. The grace flows from Jesus. And the grace flows our way not because we're wonderful or better than the next person or less than the next person. It's just because of God's grace, his unmerited favor, the mystery of why God chooses to do things in the way he does that most of us never understand in the first place. But only God. I gave you the question at the beginning about feeling the emotional attachments. There's no question that we build them in our church families. Um, 
I would say when I was early in the faith, when I first came to the faith, that the reason why I kept coming to church was because of the lead pastor. Now, the lead pastor, when I got saved, wasn't some old guy like me. Paul Cassidy at the time was in his mid-30s. He was only about 14 years, 15 years older than I was. And I saw him as a young, charismatic man, spiritual. And I loved listening to him preach on Sundays and, and teaching the Bible study on Tuesdays. And even as a university student, I always made sure I was out Tuesday night to the church Bible study. And I remember some of you have felt this in some of your groups from time to time. I remember being as a 21-year-old in the adult Bible study where the average age in the adult Bible study was probably like ours is here on Wednesdays, 40 or 45, and remember thinking, boy, I'm young. And I, I remember, you know, sitting in the Bible study, and, uh, you know, a lot of those people at that time, they weren't bad people, but, you know, they were twice my age, and they didn't take a lot of interest in me, and so I would go on Bible study, and I, we would worship a little bit, we'd pray, I'd take notes, and I'd go home, and very little of the church family at that time in that Bible study made any contact with me, other than the lead pastor. And a couple of times when he knew I was waiting to catch a bus, he'd pick me up, and he'd drop me off at the university. By the way, he had terrible eyesight. He wore these really thick glasses, and it was like taking my life in my own hands. It was a journey of faith when he would round the last corner to go up the hill to, to Laurentian University, and more than once, the tires hit the curb or the gravel. He is a horrible driver. But I love that guy. I, I'm sure a, a lot of who I am as a pastor today is because of Paul Cassidy. There's things that have been imprinted on me that I probably don't even recognize, but, but he was the first guy that imprinted on my life. And, and there's no question I, I had an emotional or have an emotional attachment to Paul. I remember when he was a guest speaker in Sudbury, we invited him over to our house, and one of the things I wanted to do was get my picture taken with him. I still have it at 880 Cambrian Heights Drive. Paul. Here's another thing about Paul. Uh, Paul later left pastoring and went over to Africa and, and started ministering there. I'm not sure doing what, but I also found out this, that while he was over there, he had a nervous breakdown. And that shocked me, because he was my mentor, he was my guy, you know, and I'm thinking, well, how does, a, how does a man as godly as Paul Cassidy, you know, go through this emotional turmoil? And to be honest, I, I don't have all the details, and that's the, not the gist of the sermon. But the point that it reminded me is this, is that all of us have feet of clay. I don't care who you put up on the pedestal or who you idolize, if it's a man or a woman, young or old, gifted or so-so, we all have feet of clay. Apostle Paul recognized that. And that's why I said, you know what, it's great to be used by God, but at the end of the day, only God matters. Workers will get the reward. Awesome. But it's only God that matters. I think the Apostle Paul, knowing him from some of his other writings, would have been horrified to think that there was a fan club in his name at Corinth. That he would have wondered, is there something he did or something that he said that seemed to have drawn a, a crowd to him or followers that had a, an unhealthy or unwise interest in him 
to the point that not only would they put Paul up on a pedestal, but they would begin to talk down other leaders as well. Because, you know, we tend to do that. In order to elevate somebody up, we tend to try to put somebody down. I think Paul would have been horrified. I, I think Paul would have understand the emotional attachments. Uh, Paul talks about those that he influenced early in his ministry, those he baptized and, and things like that. He understood that. But at the same time, it was always Paul's goal to direct people not to flesh and blood, but to God. Let me give you this life lesson. Write it down. Godly leaders point you and lead you to Jesus, not themselves. Let me say it again. Godly leaders point you and lead you to Jesus, not themselves. Paul wasn't interested in building a fan club. Paul, I think, didn't really care. That was never Paul. Paul was all about, where can I take the gospel? Where hasn't it been heard? Where hasn't Jesus been preached? And I can't wait to get there in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul rebukes that kind of thinking. He reminds them in 1 Corinthians 3 that we're all going to be rewarded for our contributions. But he also says this, that no under-shepherd or his or her ministry is ever a substitute for the good shepherd. No under-shepherd or his or her ministry are a substitute for the good shepherd. Jesus alone is Lord. But I bring you back to the, the question I posed to you about the emotional attachments. If I were to word it another way, what if I said this to you? Why do you come to church every Sunday? What would the answer be? It's very I like the worship, I like the preaching, I like the prayer, I like the people. I like the small group, I like the foundations, I like working with the kids, I like working with the students, I like working in the nursery. I mean, it's varied, right? All of those are good things. But the reason we come to church on Sunday, the reason why we do anything spiritual is because of who? Jesus. Oh, I'd love it if you were a little stronger than that. Last week, I didn't have a strong voice. This week, you don't have a strong voice. We do all of that because of? Jesus. Right. Uh, I've got an article here for you. I've only run off 50 copies because it's five or six pages long, and I wasn't sure how many of you would be willing to endure it. But it's called the celebrity pastor syndrome, and uh, I've got copyright permission uh, from CT uh, Christianity Today pastors in order to reproduce this. So don't worry about any of us going to jail. <laughs> but in the article, here's what's going on. In the article, I'll summarize it. This might make some of you less likely to read it, but here it goes anyways. In the article, he's, the pastor says this. There was this guy that had been pastoring a church for a long time, and he'd built up a really big church. And then he left. Surprisingly, he left. So a new guy comes in, and the new guy takes over the big church, and he's got ideas of what it's going to be like. 
But a, a couple of years into it, and, and there's a continued leak. There's a leak from the time he gets there till a couple years later. The church goes down 50%. And you can imagine all the ramifications with that, right? Ministry and financially and so on. The church goes down 50%. And so uh, the guy that's experiencing this is the guy writing the article. And he talks about the whole, the problem, right? And there, there might have been a number of problems. It's probably never just one thing. But in, in the leadership's assessment of, of what happens, the problem is this, that people love the former pastor. And when the former pastor left, so did they. Now, folks, I know it's been almost 20 years, and you're wondering, <laughs> and, and I, I, I don't have a big enough ego to think that any of you are here because of me, but let me say this, right? Like, that's a really bad reason for coming to church. That's a really horrible reason for coming to church, because you like the personality. Hey, that's nice. Do you like the personalities? Uh, we've had some transitions pastorally in the last number of years, which is interesting, right? Because for 10 years, we didn't have any. And then in a couple of years, you know, Roseanne, Sean, and Nathan leave. I guess Roseanne didn't leave. She retired. <laughs> She's still with us. God bless her. And, and you remember, right, some of the emotional turmoil. Because we do have emotional connections with our pastors. I told you about mine with, with Paul. I get it. We make the, the emotional connections. Uh, when, 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 when leadership or friends leave, it's difficult on us. And, and I think to some degree it should be. I mean, if you make good friends, it shouldn't just be easy to see good friends go, right? It shouldn't be. I, I remember when we were pastoring in New Sudbury in the mid-1990s, we had just experienced, a, 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 you know, we had built the church building, and we were off and running, and we had experienced a season of growth, and we were doing really well. And then about five or six years after we got all of that up and running, and I remember the count, it was 33 people in a 12-month calendar. I'm not saying it was all that year, but in a 12-month calendar, we saw 33 people leave our church to move to other places for work because Sudbury in those days was a tough place to find and keep a job. 33 people. Now, 33 people in that day would have been probably 20% of our church. And I mean, a lot of these people were great people, man. I'm telling you, let's be honest, not all of them were, but a lot of them were. And I remember when we went to New Brunswick, there was a family that, you know, had kids the same age as we did, and they were on the worship team, and we used to socialize with them. And when we went out to see Harold's family in New Brunswick, one of the things we did was stop in at their home and visit with them. We went to church with them. I mean, it was good to see them again. We missed them. I mean, that was tough. It was tough. I mean, it was tough just from a pastoral point of view and a financial point of view and a ministry point of view, but we also said goodbye to a lot of people that we'd grown to love that had been with us in the trenches when we were getting the church going, which is not always an easy thing. So I get the attachments. But at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. Not about the leaders, not about the leadership teams, not about the people that you're partnering with in your small group or on your missions team. At the end of the day, it's got to be about Jesus. I'll tell you why, if it's not obvious. 
And, and sometimes I'm trite with sayings. And sometimes not everybody gets my sense of humor or possible self-deprecation. But, but again, remember last Sunday I talked about it was the pastor that was talking to you? So here I am again. Pastors come and pastors go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They do. They will. They always will. They always will. When I came here, I remember somebody telling me a story, a true story, about a man that had been saved under Pastor Todd's ministry. And when Pastor Todd left, it broke his heart. And that man has not really been back to church much since. And that man's got family sitting in here right now, so they know who I'm talking about. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that, that's, that, that's, like, that's heartbreaking. But Todd was probably key in his coming to salvation. There was an emotional attachment. Todd left not too long after. And in, in his, this guy's probably, you know, spiritual eye was, was just an unhealthy thing. And it just, it devastated him, right? That's not Todd's fault. It may not even be the man's fault because he was a new Christian and just, just didn't have the foundation under him yet. But again, I want to go back to the saying, godly leaders point you and lead you to Jesus, not themselves. And it would behoove us as congregants to make sure that our allegiance and the preeminence in our life belongs to Jesus and to nobody in the flesh. I thank God for all you do. The leadership of the church thanks God for all you do. I don't know if we acknowledge that enough, but we do. It matters to us that you're doing it because of your commitment to Christ and to the vision of the church and its ministry's goal and its ministry goals and not unto pastors or board members or friends, but that it's unto the Lord. We thank God for the leaders that he brings our way who, and who deposit great things in our lives. You will never be the same, and it's good for you to thank God for them. But remember, Paul says that all of us that contribute, whether it's pastoral staff or board members or worship team members or small group members or it's other leadership in other ministries around the church, we all do this as unto the Lord and the Lord will reward us for our work. But we don't do it for people. We don't come to this church or we shouldn't at least come to this church because of personalities or the winsomeness, or the cleverness, or the giftedness of others. There has to be at some point in our life that I'm coming to church, that I'm worshiping Jesus, because Jesus is Lord, and this is where he wants me to be. I'll tell you again why that's important, because church life has its ebbs and flows and ups and downs. 
there are seasons of greatness, and sometimes there are seasons when it's tough sledding. And if the people aren't committed to Jesus and to the ministry or the vision of the church, the values of the church, then the church will never do well. We see that in our county in Windsor now. There's lots going on out there in churches. Some churches have suffered greatly recently because the people have followed personalities. Now, I'll be transparent. I got an issue with one of the personalities, and I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say so up front. So I'm not in that fan club to begin with. But the danger is following personalities or giftedness. I follow Paul because Paul's got signs and wonders. I follow Apollos because I've never seen a guy, you know, exegete a passage of Scripture with the intellectual acumen that Apollos has. Or I love Peter because you know what? Peter reminds me of me. He doesn't always get it right, but he keeps in the fight. I mean, I love Peter about that. So we thank God for all of the giftedness, whether it's at the pastoral level, uh, the director or deacon level, or it's at the lay level. But remember, right? Remember this. Love Jesus first and foremost. Make sure you plug into a church that you can believe in and work in, not just when the going is good, you mean it it's easy to hit exit right this building has one two three four five six if you count that one seven eight nine there's nine ways plus the main doors man there's a lot of exits here <laughs> it's easy to exit if it ain't going the way we want it to go uh, let me say this. I'm not going to name names, but, but just while I'm waxing eloquently. Been here long enough, and I know the history well enough now, that one of the things that I appreciate about some of the saints that have been a part of this church for a significant period of time is that if you've been in this church since the 70s or the 80s till now, you've seen some highs and lows. And one of the things that I appreciate about some of the folks that have been through all of that is that Jesus has always been number one in their lives and they had this commitment to the church because this is their church. God's called them to it and they're going to work here even when it isn't going great. Now, I'm not saying that's a 100% rule all the time. I understand there are times when we change it up. However, I thank God, as the pastor of Essex Gospel Community Church, that there's a foundational group of people here that are even older than I am that stuck it out when it would have been easy to leave. And because they're still here, the church is better for it. And they've laid a foundation. And in their life and their example leading here, they've always said this, it's never been about the pastors to us. It's always been about Jesus. 
And some of these people remember the Jack Ozarts. And again, I realize that name to some of you means nothing. Jack's gone on to be with the Lord. And Stuart Hunter, who has been here occasionally on, uh, you know, last number of years. You know, some of the pillars. Or Pastor Todd, whose interest is interesting now. He's in my hometown and I'm down here pastoring now. You know, I, I recognize there, there are been lots of good pastors and many that I, I haven't mentioned. But it's, even though they've made some strong relationships with some of those people, it's never been about them. It's been about Jesus. Folks, I would challenge you to make it the same thing. Now, if you wanted to have a Saturday night fan club for me, <laughs> my fear is that you'd set up chairs for six and not fill them. Remember, if you laugh too hard, it's too hard. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus deserves your loyalty. Uh, you know what? I love working with you. I love partnering with you. But again, I've been here long enough that you folks know that I got feet of clay too. That's why God surrounds me with a team of men and women, you know, who also have feet of clay. But we're stronger together. And with your support and your love and your prayers, we're stronger together because you have feet of clay as well. But we want to have a heart of gold. And the heart of gold belongs only to Jesus. Look, folks, I am very aware as flesh and blood that everything that I am today as a pastor, good, bad, or, or in the middle, is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And however I minister is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I am old enough now that I am comfortable in my, quote, spiritual skin, that this is how God has carved me and this is how I minister. And that may mean some love me, like me, or meh, as my daughter would say. But as I get a little bit older, a little bit more mature, as much as I'd like to have the fan club with at least six chairs filled, I realize that that's, that's not what it's about. Because at the end of the day, I'm just like you. I want to hear Jesus say, thou, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And because I have this platform, not that platform, but this platform, because I have this platform, it, I have to be extra careful because I know better than anybody that if Jesus starts thinking that I'm trying to creep into his fan club, he may have some words for me. And I don't want to mess with Jesus. And I believe what I said. And I want to be this pastor. Good and godly leaders point you to Jesus and not to themselves. Let's pray.